Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again this week. I trust that you are being blessed by the Word of God that's coming uh, forth from this ministry. Uh, I know we're stretching you. We thank you, though, for your responses and uh, your letters and your kind words on our Facebook page and the different ways your emails to us through uh, our website, your calls. We absolutely value them. I encourage you to call and let us know if you're enjoying what we're teaching. We're trying to decide in this particular season whether to continue teaching from the book of Revelation. It is so difficult to unpack these things as they've taken so, we've already taught 30 some weeks and only got into the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, so it is quite an undertaking. But the response has been good and it's been overwhelming. But if you missed any of the segments that we have uh, shared, I, I encourage you to go back and go to our YouTube page because our YouTube page has a place there on our channel that has archived everything that we have aired to date so that you can go back at any time and review what we've taught. It is also available on iTunes as a podcast so you can get the audio and listen to the audio in your car. It's a great way to redeem time when you're stuck in traffic or whatever. There's also from my website and you'll see that on the screen, an RSS feed that will work for other devices like Samsung and some of those kinds of smartphones so that you can get both the audio and the video. Uh, both of them are free of charge. We simply want to get the word out. You can also order the CDs that you see on the television set and they'll help you as well. I want to come back uh, for one more segment at least on this fourth chapter of Revelation. This is about the sixth program that we have recorded on the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation where we're talking talking about the throne. We're talking about the throne room. When I think about the throne room, most people think in terms of a Victorian chair on a planet three miles south of Mars. I'm not saying that there's not a place where there is a throne that's seated, but when I think about the throne of God, I think about terms we use, for instance, when we come into a service and we'll take prayer requests, and then I'll say, okay, brother so-and-so, take us to the throne tonight. What we say with that, but don't fully wrap our heads around, is that brother so-and-so literally takes us to the throne of grace right then. Matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, having obtained mercy, and we can find grace to help in the time of trouble. So when I'm talking about the throne, I'm talking about more than just a Victorian chair. Uh, I'm talking about if the rest of the book of Revelation is symbolic and full of symbolism, perhaps this throne room is. It is interesting to me that when he talks to them in the uh, third chapter of Revelation to the church at Laodicea, he tells them, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you overcome, you can sit with me in my throne. Two key words here, throne and door. I submit to you when you get into the fourth chapter of Revelation, there's a door open and a throne set. I submit to you that it's the same door and the same throne that he was knocking on to the church at Laodicea, and he's calling them, as well as all of the church and the churches, to come up hither to a higher place. I believe that's a higher place in the spirit, a higher dimension to walk in God, but I believe it's also a higher place of authority and dominion that the believer can walk in. The Word of God declares where the word of a king is, there is power. 
And I believe as kings and priests unto God, our words are powerful. And we have the power to make some kingdom declaration. That's why it's important that we watch our words and we speak things, that uh, uh, we bring things into existence by what we speak and what we declare. So when we make some kingdom declarations, when we make some kingdom proclamations, I, I believe it, that it is, uh, they are, there's authority. I was in a church recently and they had a, uh, a, a throne that was literally set up with its silk and all the stuff around it. And I thought how powerful the imagery was of that. And I thought what I ought to do in one of those services is simply have somebody come and sit down in that chair and from that chair say, begin to make some decrees about what they want in their lives. Because see, that's how powerful it really is. We really are seated with Him in His throne. We really are uh, powerfully there. And when we already described the imagery that's around this throne, there's a rainbow around about it. That rainbow we already shared with you is a picture of the covenant, especially the new covenant where God says to them, I will never be wroth with you again in Isaiah 54. He describes the death of Jesus and the redemptive work of Isaiah 53 and says then in chapter 54, this is as the waters of Noah to me. I will never be wroth with you again. So when I see Revelation 4 open and I see a throne set and I see uh, a rainbow around about it, I see the kingdom. I see its constitution, which is the new covenant. And I see the one seated there as first of all being a picture of Jesus Christ and the four and twenty seats that are around it. We already shared in the last segment speaks of the four 24 courses of priesthood that David set, but they've got crowns on their heads. We shared with you out of the book of Peter how this speaks of a, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. Uh, you are a holy nation. And God said that uh, to them, uh, I'm going to call them a people which were not a people. I'm going to give mercy to people who didn't have mercy before. So we spoke to you about how this is a picture of the priesthood of the believer made up of both Jew and Gentile with the authority to rule and reign with him in the earth. And so as we look at this, we begin to see some things. Let me, let me read this to you again, and then we're going to jump in here and try to conclude our remarks on the fourth chapter of Revelation today. But said, after this I looked, behold, a door was open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Immediately I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And we've dealt with that in, in prior segments. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. Now the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I could tell you that the thunders and the lightnings and the voices are the message, the movement, and the manifestation of the most holy place. I could take you other places in the book of Revelation and show you that where there was lightnings and thunders and voices and an earthquake, uh, later in the book of Revelation, the great city Babylon fell and there came with this trumpet, with this sound of the thunder, the lightning, and the voices, a declaration saying, it is done, it is finished. Can I tell you that the message of the most holy place is simply, it is finished, it is done. That message is what shakes the foundations of Babylon and the latter parts of the book of Revelation. Religious confusion will be shaken and dismantled when somebody preaches a message of it is finished, it is done, and it'll sound like thunder 
and lightning and voices. I think about other places where the apostle, uh, where Saul of Tarsus was knocked to the ground. And, uh, uh, you know, he heard, some that stood by heard a voice and others said it thundered. I, there's some that are hearing thunder, some that are seeing lightning, but some are hearing the voice and they're operating in it. And I believe that that's the message, the movement, and the manifestation of the most holy place. And then there are seven lamps of fire. That's the seven golden candlesticks. And then there's a sea of glass like under crystal. Once again, this is a picture of the setup of the furniture in the tabernacle of Moses. As you would come in from the gate, you would come to the brass altar, and then you would come to the brazen laver or the sea of glass. The reason it was called the sea of glass was because it was made from the looking glasses of the women that stood at the door of the tabernacle. And then when Solomon built his temple, he built bigger ones, but he called them the brazen sea there. And then you come into the next room and you see seven golden candlesticks. And then you come into the next room of the tabernacle and you would see the mercy seat or the throne room. To me, this is such a beautiful pattern of the tabernacle of Moses that when you've ever, if anybody's ever studied the tabernacle of Moses, and I might just mention to you that we do have an entire series on the tabernacle of Moses, which is the grandfather clause of all New Testament truth because every New Testament doctrine is pictured in the tabernacle of Moses from the blood being shed to the entrance into the most holy place. That's where God uh, is showing us the picture of redemption. So when we come to Revelation and we see this again, all this is, is another glorious picture of redemption's story as we move from the outer court of being born again to the most holy place of ruling and reigning. A matter of fact, in the book of Revelation where it says, and I heard a voice out of the temple, it's the Greek word naos there. And the word naos has to do with the most holy place, the inner court, the most holy place. He said, I heard a voice out of the naos saying, it is done. The message of the most holy place is coming to a revelation that it is is finished. All of a sudden then you see four and twenty seats and we've shared with you already how that speaks of the priesthood of the believer. And then there are four beasts, and let me say this to you, this word beast is different than the one in Revelation 13. This one should have been rightly translated the living creature has four faces. I'm going to get into this more as we get into the scriptures, but just suffice for this particular segment to say that this is a picture, again, of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is depicted as the lion, the man, the ox, and the eagle. All four of these beasts are saying in the next chapter, come and see. These feast, beasts are trying to get you to come and see, and what they're trying to get you to come and see is they're trying to get you to come and see redemption's story. They're trying to get you to come and see, uh, they're trying to get you to come and see what the gospel declared, trying to get you to come and see the kingdom. It's interesting to me that in the next few chapters, these beasts will say, come and see, and one of the first things that they'll say, come and see, and I looked and I saw a white horse in chapter, I believe it is six. The first response to come and see is in the latter part of the book of Revelation where he says, and I saw. And when he says, and I saw, he says, and I saw a white horse. So I think it's interesting that one of the first come and see is come and see, and then I saw a white horse in Revelation who went forth conquering and to conquer. I submit to you that's the same horse rider that he says, and I saw in the latter part of Revelation when he said, and I saw a white horse, him that sat on had a vesture dipped in blood, his name was called the Word of God. I submit to you that what he's saying for you to come and see is to come and see that Jesus has already conquered and given you the victor. He's got a victor's wreath and a crown on his head. 
and he has conquered, and he, the armies of heaven follow him, and they will conquer with him. I think that is powerful, powerful imagery. But the four gospels are saying, come and see, and what they're trying to get you to come and see is they're trying to get you to come and see the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Because as these living creatures begin to sing later on, they begin to sing, Thou hast redeemed us. So that the song that they begin to sing is a song not of gloom and of despair, but of redemption. We'll get that in a further segment if we continue teaching on this. What I am after, though, is that there was four beasts. Each one of them had six wings. They were full of eyes. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were and are created. Now, I want to just go into the, what they're singing. They're singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, I want to go back to Isaiah. Now, you can, uh, you can read some of this on your own time because I don't really have a lot of time to unpack everything here. But Isaiah, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to start in the sixth with what I read. But in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying six woes. He's saying, woe, woe, woe. Woe to them who live house to house, uh, who draw iniquity with cords of vanity, who uh, sin as it were with a cart rope. Woe unto them who rise up early to be inflamed with strong drink until wine does inflame them. Woe unto them that uh, build house to house till there be no place where they should dwell alone in the earth. And he prophesying woe, 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 woe. But see, what happens is in Isaiah chapter 6, there is a stark change in what Isaiah sees. Now let me take you there. Isaiah 6 says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved with the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin has been purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go forth? And then said I, Here am I, send me. I think this is powerful, because the message that Isaiah was declaring and preaching in chapter 5 was diametrically opposed to what heaven was saying. Isaiah's down here preaching. Maybe you've been in one of these meetings where, where, where you've got these prophets that are prophesying, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I do believe there's some very real things going on in the earth, but watch the perspective here. But all of a sudden, while Isaiah has still got whoa, whoa, whoa all over his lips, 
God lifts him up into the heavens and shows him, I believe, this same throne room. Because you see the seraphim with their six wings gathered here. And you see, I mean, what he's literally done is he's showing him this same throne room. And the same thing that's going on in chapter 4 of Revelation is the same thing going on in Isaiah chapter 6. And that is they're crying not woe, woe, woe. They're crying holy, holy, holy. Imagine Isaiah is lifted into this most holy place, into this throne room, into this heavenly sphere. He still got woe, woe, woe all over his lips. And all of a sudden, a seraphim fly by whose wings sound like a U.S. air jet coming in for a crash landing. And they're not crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They're declaring from the heavens what's true from the heavens. Because what happens is, if we speak from the realm of the earth, we're going to keep on prophesying and preaching, whoa, whoa, whoa. And all we're doing is describing the problem. But if we're going to be the answer, we're going to have to start saying what heaven is saying. And what heaven is saying is, holy, holy, holy. What heaven is saying is not, woe is me. Heaven is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Because when you put your focus on the one who's seated on the throne, you're going to begin to declare something different than, than doom, despair, and agony. I believe that when they begin to cry, holy, holy, holy. Remember, Isaiah has been crying, woe, woe, woe. But when he gets a revelation of what heaven is saying, heaven is not saying what he's preaching. I believe there's a lot of preachers out there today that are probably listening to me, and you probably still got whoa, whoa, whoa all over your lips right now, but you're about to discover heaven saying something totally different than what you're preaching, because you're preaching from the earth instead of talking from heaven. Here's a powerful thought. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, sneak my face, and turn from their wicked ways, God said, then will I hear from heaven, and I will come and heal their land. Did you ever notice that God wants to hear from heaven? God said, then will I hear from, not earth, I'll hear from heaven. Because you keep on crying, whoa, 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 that's all you're going to get. When you start crying, holy, 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 you begin to call the things which be not as though they were. You begin to bring some things into existence that have been in the realm of the invisible into the realm of the visible. As you begin to speak the things, you begin to let the weak say, I'm strong. Let the poor say, I'm rich. Let the sick say, I'm healed. That's the kind of declarations. Hallelujah, that heaven's saying. And when Isaiah was standing there prophesying, whoa, 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 he still got whoa, whoa, whoa written all over his lips. But an angel flies. When Isaiah begins to realize heaven is not saying what I'm saying, all of a sudden he said, whoa, is me. Because my lips are unclean. Because as long as I'm preaching, whoa, 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 I've got an unclean message and I've got unclean lips. And about that time, one of the seraphims flies to the altar of incense and grabs a coal of fire. Interestingly enough, what lights the fire of the altar of incense in the tabernacle of Moses is a coal from the altar of sacrifice where the blood of Jesus and where the sin offering was given. What happens is, is when you get a revelation of what Jesus did and His death, sacrificial death as the sin offering, it's going to ignite uh, the incense offering, which speaks of praise and worship. See, because if our praise and our prayer 
and our intercession is not ignited from a coal that flows from the finished work of what the sacrifice of Jesus produced. It is strange fire. But when our praise and our worship and our prayer is ignited from that altar, then all of a sudden it creates real praise. It don't cry, whoa, whoa, whoa. It cries, holy, holy, holy. And that angel took that fire and put it on the lips of Isaiah. He literally changed his message. I'm telling you, I believe God is changing the message of the American church right now. There is a massive shift. I, I mean a massive shift. People are beginning to quit crying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I, I tell you, I'm passionate about this. And they're beginning to cry, holy, holy, holy. And as they do, see, they're talking from heaven, not the circumstances that are going on in the earth. They're beginning to declare the answer instead of the problem. And I believe there are pastors and preachers out there. Listen, we, we, we've heard from young preachers and pastors and older preachers and ministries that are coming and connecting to us. And they're, they're, they're allowing God to take a coal from off of this altar and change their message. I don't know about you, but I, I used to preach, man. I preached the woe and I'd preach everything that's wrong with people. And I'd tell them how bad they were and just browbeat them. And I just discovered that that was corrupt communication. I discovered that that was not under edification. It was grieving the Holy Spirit of God. It was unclean lips. And I, you know, I can remember sitting around at restaurants with preachers years ago and bragging about, boy, I tore the hide off of them tonight, didn't I? Boy, didn't I really step on their toes? Didn't I really? And that's like sitting around bragging about beating the bride of Christ up. We ought not to be proud of the fact that we've been beating the bride of Christ up. We ought to be proud of the fact that we're beginning to edify and build up and cross something different. And the moment that I, I said to the Lord, I said, God, if you give me a message, touch my lips. Touch my lips, God, with a message that is a result of the coals on an altar that's ignited by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you'll touch my lips, I won't cry, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll cry, holy, holy, holy. And when I do, it'll cause the shift of the doors of the post of the temple to move at that kind of a voice that speaks. But, when I, but if you'll touch my lips with that kind of a message, I don't know if you're sitting there listening to me or not, but I tell you what, if God will touch your lips with that kind of a message, I believe you'll be more excited about saying, here am I, send me. I tell you what, my whole team and all of us are excited about the gospel we preach because for the first time, and, you know, it, not for the first time for us, but for, you know, once God really began to change us, we have a message that we can call the good news. We, we got a message that we could call the good news. And with that kind of a message on our lips, I, I say, Lord, here am I, send me. And let me tell you, the nations of the earth are responding, not to a message of woe, woe, woe. See, I, I think when the church sees some of the stuff that we manifest as being Christians, and they see uh, all, we're always picketing something, always against something, always full of hatred and, and uh, you know, uh, bad news and doom, despair and agony and gloom. I believe they're looking for somebody to come on the scene. If you want bad news, you can turn the news on. If you want good news, you ought to hear the gospel. But when you begin to cry, holy, 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 you say, well, Brother Howes, that's just a good, feel good, that's just a feel good message. Let me tell you something. When people leave the house of God, they ought to feel good. The reason they only come, I call them uh, Christers, they come at Christmas and Easter, is because they can only take a couple beatings a year. And the two times we get them there, Christmas and Easter, we browbeat them, scare them to death, tell them how bad it is, instead of coming with a message of hope, 
a message of building them up, a message of how big God is. See, when you constantly are preaching what's happening in the realm of the dust, what's happening in the realm of the earth, and what the devil's doing, you're going to cry, whoa, 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 because your face, you're like the woman bound to the earth in the Scripture. All you can see is the realm of dust, the realm of Adam's fallenness. All you can see is what the devil's doing, what, how bad things are. But if you ever get like Isaiah, where God lifts you out of the realm of the dust and gets you into the heavens where you see what's happening in the heavens, you'll begin to say, it's not whoa, whoa, whoa. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This is not my words. This is the prophetic word of the Lord that he declared. He said, but as truly as I live, saith God, all the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 37 says, uh, it says this, Yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. You will diligently consider his place and will not find it, but the meek will inherit the earth and dwell therein. See, I believe God's plan is a plan of redemption. When these, when these living creatures begin to cry, Holy, 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 uh, all of a sudden the 420 seats begin to cry, Holy. In other words, I see a trickle-down effect. Somebody has to speak from the dimension of the mercy seat because these living creatures are in the throne, they're around the throne, and they're before the throne. They are full of eyes. What that says to me is people, that one of the characteristics of being in the most holy place or in the throne room is you've got a vision for every realm. You are not just third day, you're all three days. You preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But when you begin to preach, you're full of eyes. You've got a vision for every realm. But when they start to cry, holy, 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 the Bible says that the four and twenty elders start to cry, holy. In other words, there's a trickle-down effect. What's happening is God releases a message from the heavens, and it starts to affect not only the mercy seat or most holy place realm, but in the second dimension of the holy place realm. Now these, now these priests are crying, holy, holy, holy. And then the first thing you know, them that are in the outer court are crying, holy, holy, holy. And then in the next two chapters, he said, I saw every creature in heaven and in earth and under the earth heard I say, holy, 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 because you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every nation and kindred and tongue. It's the message of redemption that's going to set creation free. Romans 8 says, the whole creation is groaning and travailing for the manifestation of the sons of God, because creation itself will be brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. My question is, what message are you preaching? Whoa, 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 or holy, holy, holy? I'm telling you, it's time to let the coal touch our lips. We're out of time. I trust you've enjoyed these segments. Go back, review what we've seen. If you've missed some of it, call that number on the screen. Become a partner of something big that's touching the nations of the earth with the gospel revolution of the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom, as we continue to take the gospel around the world. Uh, do it now. Go to our website, or you can contact that phone number on the screen and tell your friends about us. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, till we meet again. God bless. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.